0: Welcome to the Executive Suite, a podcast by the American Chamber of Commerce in Taiwan. My name is Julia Bergstrom, I'm the senior editor of Topics, our monthly magazine diving deep into the business world here. Each month, I sit down with a leading figure in the community to discuss management and gain insights that can help all of us in our careers. For this episode, I'm really excited to introduce Eric Ramp, General Manager of Edwards Life Sciences Taiwan. Eric was first introduced to the healthcare industry as a consultant, and with an MBA and management background, he brought his strong business mind to Edwards in 2015, where he has since held positions at the global office, but also charged the Malaysian and APAC markets. As the GM of Edwards Life Sciences Taiwan, Eric heads a team that improves Taiwan's healthcare by supplying surgical, critical care, and structural heart disease devices. In short, he's saving lives on the daily. Welcome. I'm very happy to have you in front of me today, Eric.
1: I'm very excited to be here, Julia. Thank you.
0: So I mentioned saving lives, but for people who aren't (laughs) that familiar with Edwards Life Sciences, what is it that you guys actually do?
1: So, I, you know, I caution people first. I was a political science major, so any medical advice I give in the next hour, don't follow it, right? So, okay, <laughs> uh, But, you know, Edwards Life Sciences is, is a global manufacturer of primarily cardiovascular medical devices. Mm-hmm. Cardiovascular is a big space, right? The heart is a very complex organ. And when most people think of the heart, they think of heart attacks. We mm. uh, you know the picture of a drama on television or in a movie where mom or dad clutches their chest, they fall to the floor, they're rushed off to the hospital. Well, that's not what we do. We mm-hmm. don't treat that. That's coronary artery disease. Okay. Uh, what we treat is primarily the diseases of the valves in your heart. And um, so we provide a surgical replacement heart valve that mm-hmm. you can receive through traditional open heart surgery. They would stop your heart. They would open your chest. You would be under general anesthesia. They would do surgery and you'd be discharged sometimes from the hospital in a couple of weeks. And then we have another kind of form of therapy, which is that same heart valve can be replaced through a catheter that's Mm -hmm. placed in your leg. And this is a very minimally invasive approach that allows patients to actually not be under general anesthesia a lot of times. They're consciously sedated, and they can leave the hospital in a couple of days. And that's a therapy that we brought to Taiwan around 2016, 2017. All right. We call it TAVI. Uh, This is going to be hard. Uh, Transcatheter aortic valve implantation.
0: Wow, and that's... it's
1: really kind of the future for a valve replacement.
0: Did uh, you say in, in your leg?
1: In your leg, yeah. So it's, well, there's different ways we can do it, but uh, the gist of it is we're able to implant it in an artery. So okay. usually it's your femoral artery in your leg, and we take that valve and we crimp it down to the size of a pencil eraser. Yeah. And that'll be put into a catheter and it'll be snaked all the way up into your heart, and it'll actually be implanted over top of your native aortic valve. That's and,
0: amazing. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It's very, it's a very innovative technology. This approach has been around for a long time for placing stents into patients' hearts. And that's, mm. again, primarily for treating coronary artery disease. But, uh, yeah, it's been around for 10, 12 years commercially. I'm fairly new to Taiwan. So we just received reimbursement for this from NHIA in the beginning of 2021.
0: Wow. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. And... One thing that you also do is work with AI and predictive yes. algorithm, yeah. right? So one example is the Acumen Hypertension Prediction Index,
1: right? Sounds very fancy, right? Very
0: fancy. <laughs> but how does this work? Is this where healthcare is headed now, working with AI and predictive healthcare?
1: Yeah. So I, I would be remiss not to mention actually, there's a whole another part of our business that's not related to replacing your or repairing your heart valves, uh, and we call that critical care. We make a bedside monitor for critically ill patients who are either very, very sick or going through really high-risk surgeries where there's a potential for them to bleed a lot. Certain patients require more advanced monitoring of the heart itself and the output of the heart, and this allows anesthesiologists and intensivists to more quickly diagnose issues when a patient's blood pressure drops to a really low level, which Mm -hmm. is dangerous. And so the future of that is very based on being more predictive and prescriptive of these events for Mm. a patient. In the future, what we're trying to move more towards is being prescriptive. So if today I just tell you, hey, this patient's blood pressure is going to drop in 10 minutes. Mm. In the future, we hope we can say, okay, it's going to drop in 10 minutes. You need to administer X amount of this fluid or this type of medication, right? And Mm. so that's kind of the future. And it is an AI-based technology. It's Mm. based on a machine learning model we use to look at a lot of waveforms of patients' hearts, literally millions of records to say, what are the little indicators that say this patient is going to have a problem Mm. in the future in 10 minutes from now or even a little bit longer than that? And so it's becoming pervasive in medicine in general. Um, And in Taiwan, we're in the process right now of seeking reimbursement for a sensor that is able to do this for patients.
0: That's incredible. Yeah. And for someone who doesn't have a medical background, you sure have a lot of knowledge about this stuff.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: But you didn't start your career either in healthcare. You started as a management consultant. Yeah, that's right. And you must have come into contact with quite a few industries during that time. So, what made you choose medical devices and healthcare?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, it's funny. I would like to say I was running towards something at the time, mm-hmm. but I wasn't. I was running away okay. uh, f- for me. And I just got lucky really to land in healthcare. And, and for me, this is where I want to be for the rest of my career. But when I was a management consultant, I was probably in a few too many industries. And mm-hmm. um, I found it hard really to connect with some of these industries like insurance and, uh, IT for me, I always wanted to have a physical product, you know, and not an information product, not a service, but something you make. But I got really lucky with this opportunity at Edwards life sciences. And wow, I just so identified with this idea of making something that goes into the human body, that helps patients. It really felt like I didn't just show up every day to earn a paycheck. Like I could actually be part of something that, impacted patients lives
0: right but you haven't only worked in leadership when it comes to edward's life sciences mm. or your career you were also the captain of your college basketball right, team yeah. what has playing team sports and leading a team taught you about managing others and working yeah. with others that you use today
1: First of all, yeah, I mean, I think sports has been a huge influence on my mm-hmm. life and being an athlete has been a huge influence on how I've developed my own leadership style. Mm-hmm. But um, I think first off, you know, I think sports teaches you that uh, I played for a team that was really bad. Let's be, uh, you know, okay. just, just be, just a full disclosure here. So we, we, in college, we were not good. And so I, first thing I learned is really how you, you manage through hard times and how you continue right. to motivate the team when, when things aren't going well. Uh, I think another thing you kind of learn from team sports is that when you put a team together of all A players, meaning mm-hmm. best people, actually they don't perform the best a lot of times. Uh, you really need a blend of those that are kind of, you know, I guess what I would call highly motivated A players, but people also that are excited about playing the role, mm-hmm. and and that's how you build a kind of a winning team, and it mirrors organizations in a lot of ways. And I think the other part that I learned about my own leadership style is that, Actually, because I was an athlete, I I got into um, a really great academic school, Mm. but I shouldn't have been there academically. Oh, okay. And I had to work harder than everybody else in the classroom just to keep up. And, you know, I got good grades. I was able to do that. But I think it developed a lot of my own humility, Mm. and I never felt like I needed to be the smartest person in the room after that. Mm. And I've really used that to approach my career as well, is that I don't look at myself as this big brain at the top of the organization Mm -hmm. through which every decision needs to run. Yeah. Right. I look at, you know, and I think that hamstrings a lot of leaders is that they feel like they need to be right. They need to make somebody else wrong in the process and they have to be the central decision maker. And actually Mm -hmm. that just slows things down at the top. I instead have looked at it more like an organization is a place I'm trying to maximize. It's this inherently organic and perfect thing Mm. that I'm trying to kind of maximize and how I get the most out of it and not be the one that's deciding everything. Uh, So, yeah.
0: How do you encourage people to make their own decisions or make sure that everything is running toward the right direction without micromanaging them?
1: I'm also a big believer in not using positional power Mm. to drive the organization, right? I believe in influence over positional power. And what that means is I don't think I've ever said Hey, you need to do this because I'm the boss. Mm. Yeah. And I think this is particularly important in multinational companies which are very matrixed. You know, most of the people you need to help you get things done don't report to you. Mm. And so you really learn how to work through relationships and this is huge at Edwards is we're a very relationship based culture. Yeah. Okay. Um I think the other job for us is leaders is really to focus on setting the vision for the organization, Yeah, you know, at the top. That's important because if you're not doing it, you know, probably no one is Mm -hmm. and making sure that my team has the right resources to get things done. So I really try to focus on that, you know, motivating people, you recruit great people, you compensate them well, you trust them to get things done. Mm -hmm. Uh, You hold people accountable for that and you hold yourself accountable Mm -hmm. as well. And uh, I think that's something that as a GM, I've really tried to focus on is like, you know, I'm I'm responsible for nothing in the organization, yeah. but I'm accountable for everything.
0: That's very true. I, yeah. I haven't heard that description before, but it makes a lot of sense. Responsible okay. <laughs> for nothing, but accountable for everything. Yeah. So it's all about recruiting the right people, right? And yeah. Finding the right team. And talent is something that there is a shortage of everywhere and there's right. a lot of competition for it. So how does Edwards Life Sciences mm. nurture and retain talent?
1: I think my first focus as a GM is first to how am I creating opportunity for the organization? And I, and I think I do that by driving the business, expanding the business. Because if we're doing that, people's roles are expanding. We're creating new jobs for people that they can switch into for new experience. We're creating strategic projects for people to take on that they can kind of build their resume and so, I think that's my first job as GM is to be driving the business and expanding the business so that people can have that experiential learning opportunity. Yeah. And so, what I'm trying to focus on now is how can I develop Taiwan talent for Asia Pac? Mm. Uh, because our Taiwan team, I mean, they are a fantastic cultural fit for Edwards. I mean, they really live and breathe our, our company values. And the Taiwan healthcare market is also kind of a microcosm of bigger markets. I mean, we're a blend of a direct and indirect model. We have really, really high-quality physicians. We have a, you know, a single-payer system in NHIA, which is really, really, really strong. Mm. And government affairs and how we interact with them mm. is critically important. So people, I think, that are come up through our, our organization in Taiwan are great mm. to move to Singapore, to Australia, to some of these markets, as long as we can get the English language development to where yeah. it needs to be. And I've got great talent in my organization. And so what I'm really trying to focus on is like, you know, how do I promote the the accomplishments of this team and make sure that they're ready to move not just, you know, onto China, which is great, mm-hmm. but but to really look at all of Asia PAC as an opportunity for them.
0: And if there is a talented person listening to this yeah. who would like to have a successful career similar to yours, what advice would you like to give them?
1: I think if you are willing to work a lot harder than others to get into the hospital. Mm. I mean, you can do that. You can go on ride alongs with sales reps. You can sit in cases and see exactly what happens when someone has their val- heart valve replaced. Mm. And I still do that a lot. And it's funny. Like when I show up in the hospital, everyone's kind of well, like, what's going on? Is, is he auditing the sales reps? Yeah. And the doctors are all asking me like, why is the GM here? But I do it still because I learn so yeah. much. And that's the approach I've taken through my career is I've always found opportunities, even if I was in an HR role, mm-hmm. I'd be out with the sales rep sometimes on a Friday, say, hey, take me to the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to just see what you do all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's I think that's to me been the kind of the key, you know, through through my career. And anybody can do that yeah. if they're willing to do it.
0: Right. So hard work, curiosity and
1: oh, intellectual curiosity is huge. you got to be very, mm-hmm. very curious about what we do mm-hmm. and, and be willing to put the time in to do all the product trainings and all the, you know, spend time close to the, to our patients and our customers. I mm. think that's been for me, what's worked. Mm. Yeah. Cause I, I like, you know, I don't have the, I don't have the academic background that quite matches with the role. I didn't even have the experiences, yeah. uh, up until before I joined Edwards, I spent time in healthcare as a consultant in hospital systems in the U S but that's all been things I've had to learn on the job. Yeah. So, but it can be done.
0: That's, that's very impressive.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks. It gives hope. (laughs) I still feel like I'm at the beginning of this whole journey. So, uh, yeah.
0: You've moved around a lot. Right, yeah. You've worked in China, Malaysia, the US, now Taiwan. Yeah. How has that worked for you and your career and your family, moving to all these places?
1: Yeah. I think it's worked great for me. I don't know. Maybe ask my wife (laughs) how it's worked for her. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I think when you do that, it's all about your family. Mm -hmm. To be honest, and we talk about this a lot at Edwards, when you know, people like me are on an assignment or we move into a role in a new country, you know, when people fail, it's not usually about the job. It's about the personal part of it, right? Can the family make the transition? Because the hardest part is, and this was the case in our household, is I have an incredibly supportive wife, mm-hmm. but she had a career. Mm. You know, She worked someplace for 10 years and she loved it. But I asked her to quit so she could move to Malaysia. And that's not an easy transition uh, for a lot of people to make. And I think it usually, you know, when it doesn't work out, it's because it's because of the family element. So, I mean, that's probably first. And uh, yeah, we've, but every place we've gone and China was there by myself. This was a long time ago when I was a, frankly, I I was a student and I worked really early in my career. But Malaysia, you know, my family came with me and obviously Taiwan and Taiwan has been easy for us yeah uh, you know i'm, I'm lucky because I, I have a foundation in the language from my time mm-hmm. when i when i went to school in beijing and my wife is from jai so mm-hmm. her family's from jai she speaks taiwanese so you know this has all been an easy transition yeah. for us here but malaysia for us was definitely a challenge
0: and you moved during COVID.
1: yeah we at the did peak, right? well i moved twice during COVID. Oh, you wow. know because even when i came to taiwan i i i uh, was during uh, let see, in January of uh, 2022, mm-hmm. you know, we, we spent about six months in the U.S. because we couldn't get our visas approved. Yeah, But yeah, moving to Malaysia during COVID was quite, a, quite an experience. huh. I don't know if you have time for a short story on this one. Or... Yeah,
0: let's do a short story. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, I think, you know, this is for me, it's always been, um, you know, this is when I kind of knew we could make it anywhere. Yeah. You know, we moved in August of, uh, of 2020. Uh, it's from Orange County, California to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And I, mm-hmm. you can't juxtapose two places more than this. I mean, these are very different places. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, this is the height of COVID. There was almost no cases in Malaysia at that time. We landed in the airport in Kuala Lumpur and go through testing and straight to quarantine, all those things that were going on all over the world. And my one-year-old daughter tested positive for COVID. And we were like, how is this possible? Oh, wow. you, you know, and Two days into hotel quarantine, we get a call from the Ministry of Health, say, you know, we're picking up your daughter. She's going into the hospital. No questions asked, right? And Jesus. Two police show up at the hotel room and a couple people in the bunny suits, you know, mm-hmm. we, we're used to saying, and we're taking your daughter away, right? And this was just dramatic. I mean, my wife was in tears. Yeah. You know, I didn't know what was really going on. But at the end of the day, I ended up convincing them to let me go to the hospital with her because she was one.
0: Well, so they, they were going to go. Just her, or
1: it wasn't clear, oh, but right. I, I made sure that, yeah. you know, I, I was familiar with the hospital system, mm-hmm. so I decided I would go, would be best. And, uh, yeah, so we spent, you know, 12 days in an isolation room, no hot water, uh, you know, no internet, no TV. Oh, wow. we, we had a window that I managed because I had a pocket knife, I managed to actually take the screws off so I could open the window. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, and yeah, we spent 12 days in there with a one year old, and uh, yeah, it was a very it was a tough time. Yeah. Right. I, and at that time, COVID was very scary. Mm. You know, we didn't know what it was. And mm. she ended up being asymptomatic the whole time. But I, you know, I slept with a mask and an N95 mask on for 12 mm. days. I was bleeding from around my eyes from it. And, uh, you know, it, it was a tough experience. It really was. But at the end of that, uh, you know, we came out and uh, we loved Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And my wife loved Malaysia. And we, we absolutely felt like after all of that, things could never be that bad again. No. And uh, so I think that's, we've carried that forward and now as we've moved around and we've moved to Taiwan, I mean, Mm -hmm. gosh, everything just seems so easy here.
0: I can imagine. I hope so. I hope it doesn't get worse than that. yeah. And and, yeah, you mentioned you have a a certificate in Mandarin from Beijing Language and Culture University. Right, yeah. Are you using your Chinese now in the daily life and at work? Has that helped you kind of settle in?
1: Yeah, I think I do, right? When Mm -hmm. I'm out in the, in the um, everyday life, I, I use it a lot. I think, you know, yeah, I think you know this from being in Taiwan for mm-hmm. a long time, right? It's like as foreigners, you know, we say a few things in Chinese. I get into the taxi in the morning and, mm-hmm. you know, they'll say to me like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. me, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, I just said three words. I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's that good, right? Yeah. And what you you realize over time is you get pushed into more and more Uh, advanced Mm. situations, right? So the rubric or the bar I use for myself now is, can I communicate with government? Yeah. And that's a much, much more challenging conversation. Yeah. And so I think, you know, uh, that's, uh, I'm challenging myself this year to get to a point where I can, you know, communicate clearly with government on topics. Mm. Um, And to me, I'll feel like I made it then (laughs) right now. I feel like I got a long way to go.
0: Yeah. I mean, speaking with the government is something important in the healthcare industry. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it's not just about creating good and innovative products, right? You right. also need to ensure that the right policies are in place so that as many people as possible can have access to those That's right. products. Yeah. And you're active with that. You're also active in AmCham's advocacy work. So what kind of challenges and opportunities are there for medical devices in Taiwan right now for your yeah. industry?
1: Yeah. Uh, this, yeah, this is a dense topic. Um, I, I think, so first of all, I, I have to say, uh, the Amcham white paper and the collaboration we have with the National Development Council is, is, is fantastic. This is a great tool for us to communicate with governments. And this level of discourse that, frankly, the Taiwan government allows between industry is amazing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we've got challenges and we don't solve all those issues, even a lot of those issues. But I think just the fact we're able to have that conversation is pretty amazing through that white paper. The topics we focus on for medical device right now are what you just said, which is how do we in, how do we speed up, mm-hmm. uh, patient access? Um, I'm going to say it that way. Um, mm-hmm. right now it can take anywhere from three to five years mm-hmm. for, and that's even after I've convinced corporate to bring a product to, to Taiwan, right? Mm-hmm. And that's got a couple years of lead time it to, to go from, you know, setting up a new procedure code if it's required yeah. to launching in self pay and getting it listed in the hospitals. And that often sometimes doesn't even include the device reimbursement, which is Mm. the part that's the most expensive for patients. So Mm. it's the lead time that we're trying to really address. Mm. And then the second part is once we have integrated a product into uh, Jianbao, NHI, Mm. is how do we ensure a reasonable price and what we call indication for that product? So that's short term. Yeah. Uh, You know, long term challenges, I think, for, uh, you know, healthcare in general in Taiwan is... um, you have these two kind of like opposing forces at work right now in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. One is demographics, and the other one is budgetary pressure, and they're not moving in the right direction, right? So, uh, is it okay if I bore, bore everyone with some statistics for sure <laughs> <laughs> for a couple of minutes? <laughs> so, you know, aging population issue, mm-hmm. which we all know about, is real in Taiwan, right? This fact that by 2025, more than 20 percent of the population will be 65 plus. We yeah. talk about it a lot. Uh, and it's happening really, really fast. I mean, basically, that's today, right? I mean, it's right around the corner. And with that, you have increases in all of the chronic uh, diseases, uh, things like you know, cancer, kidney disease, diabetes, heart disease, right, which we treat a part of. And so that's really going to increase the burden on the healthcare system more so than it is already, which you know, one thing about Taiwan, which I found so interesting is that, you know, Taiwanese people really love the doctor.
0: Yes. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. And you know, they, they go to the doctor uh, on average 14 times a year, which is almost twice what it is in, in uh, a lot of other countries. Mm -hmm. And if you go to a hospital in Taiwan, you'll see there's a lot of people there. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's different reasons for that. But um, (laughs) there's a joke. My, uh, one of my employees told me the other day is, I guess it's on the internet somewhere. It's like, there's an old grandmother and grandpa. Every week they go to the hospital and they visit their doctor. And mm-hmm. they do that all year long. Every week they show up. Mm-hmm. And then one day, only the grandma shows up. And the doctor says, well, I'm, I'm happy to see you're here today, but where's your husband? And she said, oh, he stayed home because he's sick. Oh. <laughs> right? And yeah. and that's kind of the, you know, and that plays itself out. So that's on the demographic side. On the budget side, you know, I, Taiwan healthcare system is fantastic in that it provides universal coverage mm. at a really affordable price for people. Uh, but I think budget-wise, Taiwan is not able to invest a lot of money back you know, yeah. back into the healthcare. They spend about 6.7% of GDP on healthcare mm. when you compare it to a lot of the other OECD countries, like you know, Korea spends almost nine. Mm. Uh, Australia spends almost ten. Mm. You could be a disaster like the US is right now and spend nineteen. I wouldn't suggest that, but I think there's you know really just a just a funding challenge that uh, Taiwan needs to look at. And I see, I mean, this is kind of happening real time, but there are some some movement happening actually, mm. even in the last month to look at increasing some of the funding for the system. And I think long term, we got to reconcile those two things. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. It is quite a culture shock, I think. Both you as an American and me as a Swede would tend to avoid the hospital if we could, for Mm -hmm. different reasons, Mm -hmm. probably, but it's quite the opposite here. Yeah. So in these discussions with the government, do you feel like your degree in in political science and international Uh relations helped you at all? Or is Uh this something you've learned later in life?
1: I don't know. I still think, Look, honestly, I still think I'm feeling this out here. You you know, it's uh, advocacy still seems to happen on a very local level. Mm. And I think I'm pretty well versed with the issues, but a lot of the communication and last steps when it comes to working with government, I still rely on my team for that. Mm. Uh, So does my degree help? Uh, Yeah. I mean, it doesn't hurt. Yeah. Right. It doesn't hurt. I think my patience on issues is probably what helps me the Mm. most. I'm realistic about how much you can really change in a short period of time. Right. And I acknowledge that the, the national healthcare here has a gigantic task of really managing society-level health mm. and raising that bar mm. gradually, right? That's their mission, right? And to do that in a cost-effective way. Of course, I want reimbursement for all of our innovative medical devices, mm. but I realize that that's not always going to be possible mm. because they're looking out for the, the population-level health. So, mm-hmm. yeah
0: definitely mm-hmm. and in facing all these challenges i guess you also need a very supportive workplace which yeah. you have described you have but but not only according to your testament mm-hmm. uh, edwards was <laughs> voted one of the best places to work in taiwan in 2022
1: yes so, yeah. so we're very proud of that
0: why do you think that is why is it such a good place to work what do you guys do to care for your employees
1: i think that we have done a pretty good job of connecting our employees with our mission, which is to help patients. Mm-hmm. You know, we we focus on that a lot at Edwards. We think it gives everyone some meaning to their work. And we try, we spend a lot of time trying to build connections between our employees and patient impact. Mm-hmm. And so you know, one example is we uh, just, when was it? Like, I just had a baby somewhere. Like, there's like <laughs> whole weeks of my life that have been erased. Mm-hmm. But a uh, w- couple weeks ago, we were in Bangkok, Thailand, and we had our Asia Pacific sales conference. And we were able to fly a Taiwan patient to Bangkok mm-hmm. and to have him speak and share mm-hmm. his experience about having his heart valve replaced. And this, I was so impressed with this man. He, he was a farmer from, uh, lived on the mountain in Puli. Mm-hmm. And he was a persimmon farmer. And this guy flew to Bangkok, got on stage in front of 600 people with me, and I was nervous. Mm. I was nervous during this interview. And this proud Taiwanese man shared his story loudly, confidently with this group. And everybody was just so impressed with what he shared. And he talked about, you know, how, how sick he had been before he had, he had actually almost passed away before he had his heart valve replaced, how he, his experience was, how his life changed after, how he was able to go back to work. And those type of experiences are what we like to share with our employees because it just really builds meaning. Mm-hmm. And I think the other, you know, the other aspect we really try to focus on in Taiwan is just making sure we recognize people for their contributions. Yeah. I think that's very, very important. And I think our employees also appreciate how we try to keep pretty open communication. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not shy about speaking up uh, at all. That's uh, good. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a little of the Taiwan culture. I mean, they, you know, we do an employee survey, for example. And uh, we're always kind of puzzled around why our employee survey scores are a little bit lower. Uh-huh. But I actually think a big part of it is is that people... Believe their voices in Taiwan will be heard, mm. and they're willing to speak up and talk about things that need to be improved. Yeah, but that's not always the same in, in some other places.
0: Right, so it's about kind of empowering them to speak their mind and, yes. and reminding them of what their work will lead to. Yeah, which is exactly save lives and improve yeah, lives. Exactly, amazing. It must be a lot of work being general <laughs> manager. Uh, how how, mu- how many hours a week do you work?
1: I, I maybe I shouldn't say this, but. <laughs> You'd be surprised. It's probably not as many as you think. Oh, okay. Um,
0: then don't tell me I probably work more.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I try to put a cap on like I try to go home every day at five thirty. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I don't always do it. Yeah, I know what time is already. Right yeah. Uh and you know, I have three kids at home and so for me you get an hour or two in the evening to see them and that's pretty much it. So I, I try to put some hard boundaries around time mm-hmm. and that doesn't always work. But I also want to try to set the right example for the rest of the organization. Like I really don't believe in people putting in hours, I believe in believe in what outcome you have, right, and mm. what you get out of it. So, uh, I try to set a good example in that way. Doesn't always work, but I try, and I try to s- also. There's some things I kind of do to manage my own like mental health. Yeah. I would say for me, exercising is still important.
0: Yeah, do you uh, still play basketball? I,
1: I don't anymore. Right. I, okay, so I tried. To play last summer, I mm-hmm. joined – so the medical device, what they call the Taiwan Advanced Medical Technology Association, TAMTA, has a basketball tournament.
0: Oh, wow. And okay.
1: Edwards joins uh, – a few other medical device companies join. So I was so excited about this, and I trained really hard for it, and yeah. I hurt myself oh, <laughs> in the course no. of it. So basketball gets really tough when yeah. you get in your 40s. So what I still do is uh, – this is funny, but I actually I do Pilates. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm probably the only man in my Pilates Pilates studio, yeah. but I do Pilates because I have – I feel like as I've gotten older, exercising and working out is less about you know how you look and more about like mm-hmm. I want this stuff to stop hurting. Yeah. So I'm going to train to balance it out and, yeah. uh, and I, I need some, some mental health. Uh, I need a, a place to kind of uh, get my thoughts off of work. And so yeah, every three days, if I haven't exercised in, in three days and something has gone wrong, mm-hmm. so I set that goal for myself every three days. That's good. Need to do something, yeah.
0: And what else do you do to kind of relax and recharge? Oh
1: gosh, Uh, I I mean, I think I'm pretty boring. I spend Uh time, you know. Look, I I spend time with my kids. Mm -hmm. They're starting to become more active and interested in sports and those things. So my weekends are dominated with either if I get some time for myself to exercise or work out. If not, I'm with my family and Mm -hmm. my kids doing things around Taipei, and that's pretty much it. You know, I read when I can. Um, I still study Chinese. Oh, that's so, good. Yeah. So I, I actually picked that back up this year and I have a teacher again. And uh, if, you know, if I had my ideal day, I'd probably, you know, probably wake up a little bit later on the weekend yeah. I'd go to a cafe and sit and study uh, for a couple hours. I'd get time to go exercise and then I'd spend the rest of the day with my kids.
0: That's, that's, that sounds like a wonderful day. Yeah.
1: For me, that's as good as it gets. So, nice. yeah.
0: So we are uh, running out of time. Uh, I'm going to hit you with my final All question. Right. I'm scared. You're from Southern California, if I'm correct.
1: Uh, born in outside San Francisco, but mainly, yes, mainly Southern California.
0: Okay. Born in San Francisco, but mainly lived in Southern California. Yeah. And now you're in Taiwan. Yep. So what is your favorite dessert to <laughs> cool down on a hot summer day?
1: This is a very appropriate question for Taiwan, right? Yes. I like it. It's a good question. Um, look, I, I, I've got three kids, so I don't uh-huh. think I've been able to pick my dessert in the last like seven years. All right. <laughs> but but uh, if you come to Taiwan, you got to have manguo bing. mango mm. bing is the dessert. So both my kids and I love that.
0: Oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah.
1: So we, we always make sure we get that in at least once a month.
0: Uh, once a month? Yeah. Even in the winter months?
1: Uh, even in the winter months. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, come on, they still have it. Yeah,
0: they do. Yep. It's great. It's really <laughs> delicious. So I asked this, uh, a dessert-related question sure. every to every guest yeah. because we're the executive suite and we love sweets. And usually I will give the dessert of the preference from the last guest to the next guest oh, as a little like thank it. you and appreciation for, okay. for spending some time with me and talking about leadership and in your industry. Our last guest was uh, Honore Chogueno, who is the CFO of Mercedes-Benz, and his choice was, a- was actually Tang Tangyuan.
1: Oh, Tang Tangyuan. Very good.
0: But the problem with Tang Yuan is you need to eat it fresh. Yeah, uh, you do. It's not 5.30 yet, so there's a place right nearby. So rather than giving you sweets uh, to go, would you mind go getting some sweets?
1: Okay, Tang Tangyuan is my wife's favorite. All right. So you're going to win me huge points at home. Great. Let's do it.
0: Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much for being on here today. I had a really interesting time and let's go get some dessert then.
1: Thank you, Julia. This is actually this is the most fun I've had all week. So
0: Oh, I'm happy to hear. <laughs>
1: Thank you for allowing me to join <laughs> and kind of share my story. It was it was a special experience. Thank you.
0: Great. Thanks so much. Yeah, which one are you getting? I
1: have no
0: idea. Would well, I like, if you're like, what do you want? I'm gonna get the peanut one. I think. Oh,
1: actually. Let you get you. Awesome.
0: No, 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 I... no, no,
1: no, no, no. You invited me, <laughs> and this is a great opportunity for me.
0: It. At least I can do. It.
1: Gosh.
0: I know. I think life is a little bit better with sweets. Yeah, but, uh, that's right. Although I should be a bit, a bit more restrictive, I guess, with it
1: for health. What was the Sandra's? Uh, was like chocolate cake or something.
0: He can try her what American dessert do you think everyone should try? Yes. She, she said absolutely not pumpkin. Pumpkin pie is the worst. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Is this one yours? Oh, this is yours. Oh, this is, okay. is <laughs> <laughs> yours. Bye-bye. This was the Executive Suite, an audio version of what we cover each month in topics from the American Chamber of Commerce in Taiwan. We are now in print, online, and wherever good podcasts are found. In this feed, we will also be bringing you monthly updates on the major domestic and international beats moving Taiwan. This program was created with help from Ghost Island Media, Taiwan's leading podcast label. Make sure you check out their other shows. I'm Julia Bergstrom, and I'll see you next month.